0: Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the word of God uh, this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this fellowship. And uh, Lord, we are here because of you. Lord, we're able to come together and learn your word because of all that you've done, Lord. And even today as we speak about a Gentile who fears you, it is because of you that we've been incorporated. And, Lord, we thank you so much. And so now, Lord, we ask that you might teach us your word, give us understanding. And, uh, Lord, please help my thoughts uh, to be focused. And, uh, Lord, may I bring glory to you and all that I say. And, uh, Lord, may you teach us now and help us to understand your word and then to be doers of your word. So we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're picking up in Luke chapter 7. And uh, as we get started with this, hold on, let me get back over to my notes here. There we go. Um, Okay, we're in Luke chapter 7 tonight. And uh, we just finished the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, Luke's Sermon on the Plain is very similar to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. But we know it's different because of one said it was on a flat plain and the other said it was on a mount. And, uh, and so there's some, some differences, although some of the teachings were similar. But uh, that makes sense that Jesus wouldn't just teach something one time and that was it. And so uh, we just finished that. Now we're heading into this week we're going to see some miracles. And if we have time, we're going to get into John the Baptist. And I, I really hope to get there because I, I love this passage about John the Baptist. All right, so let's go ahead and read now Set, chapter 7, verse 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings sayings in the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one of, for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Uh, now I'm going to stop there. This uh, episode is also recorded in Matthew chapter 8. It's a little bit different. Matthew 8 doesn't record these Jewish elders coming to Jesus. And so Luke gives us a little more insight into this. And there's a couple other differences. But uh, Capernaum or Capernaum, uh, was a place that Jesus had made his home. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And then he moved to Capernaum, uh, and that was the base of his ministry. And it was also the home of Peter. Uh, We know Peter's home was there. Now, I've showed you this little drone video before, and I'm going to show it to you again just so you get the idea. And hopefully we'll catch this. So, for the live stream, uh, make sure that it's on the video, okay? So as we're coming here to Capernaum, that, that big building uh, toward the front that's roundish, that, can you pause it right there? Is that possible? I don't know if it's possible to pause it. Nope. We just restart. Okay. The roundish building, that is a sanctuary built over Peter's house. I want you to look past that for a moment. There's a building behind there, a little church. And then, of course, as we fly over, we're going to see Capernaum. Oh, well, we, we can't pause it. Go, go ahead and go a little farther. And pause it right there. Okay, perfect. Uh, so to the left of the the octagonal be- building, uh, which is over Peter's house, it's a, a church, uh, you see the synagogue there off to the left. And that's built, that's a, a later synagogue built on top of the first century synagogue uh, where where Jesus would have gone into. And then next to it, you can kind of see what looks like the like a maze on the ground, okay? Now, we'll, we'll go forward in just a moment here. But look to the field behind everything, and there's a building back there, okay? That would have been where the centurion lived, just so you get an idea of how far away everything. Now, go ahead and press play real fast because I want to show you. And let's see, can we pause it there, Okay, by the way, this is my illegal drone flyover. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Mossad's like going to be like, I'm going to go into the country and get arrested next time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not worth their time. But uh, you can see that the, what they've excavated of the city of Capernaum, it's not very big. It's actually fairly small, and I'm sure there's probably more to it that has never been excavated. That's kind of how the Holy Land is. There's, I think they say that of the the Holy Land and those areas of the that the Bible took place, I think only one percent uh, of uh, it has been excavated. Uh, of of the areas that they found, only one percent has been excavated. So. That would, would have been Capernaum and, of course, over underneath that building would have been Jesus' house. So that kind of gives you the setting here as we, we get back into the text. So we see that this centurion had a, a, a servant who was dear to him and he was sick and ready to die. So the Centurion ended up sending elders to of the Jews to Jesus to plead with him and why did the elder, were the elders so willing to do this well this this Centurion uh, one we're going to learn that he feared God but two he was a patron to the people and this was actually uh, many of the Romans would do this some were antagonistic to the Jews other Romans would become like more like patrons to the Jews they would they would do kind things for the Jews. And, and this centurion, the Jews, said, hey, he built us a synagogue. Uh, he invested in us. Please, he's deserving of this. And uh, so they go to Jesus on his behalf. Now, Matthew doesn't record any of this. But notice that he says in verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built a, a synagogue. And and so they are recognizing that, that this man is a good man. He's uh He's a loving man, and he's kind to us, and we really want to see you go to him. And so these elders of the Jews, one, are recognizing Jesus' authority and power. Two, the centurion is recognizing it by sending them to him. So we go to verse 6. Then Jesus went with him, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, Matthew records that the centurion himself was speaking to Jesus, and it's possible that he records a later part of this story, not really sure, or it's possible that Matthew on the account of the servant speaking to Jesus, says that this man is speaking on behalf of the centurion. So it's the same as the centurion speaking to him. I don't really know, and I can't reconcile that. I don't have enough information. But what's key is the the words that are being said. You see, he stops Jesus from even coming. Now, for for the centurion, he understood something about the Jews. The Jews would not enter into the house of a Gentile. Uh, now, this wasn't from the Mosaic Law. This was from, from Rabbi, rabbinical tradition that they were not allowed to enter into the home of a Gentile, and you would never eat with a Gentile because the whole idea of uh, if I'm dipping into a bowl that you're dipping in, I'm getting your cooties, your Gentile cooties, and I don't want those, right? And so, so we're not going to share food together. We're not going to do that. But I, what I'm interested in is that Jesus, at the request of this man, he goes, okay? And I know the elders say he's deserving, but I don't think that's so much Jesus' motivation for going. And, and I think we can see that the way Jesus went was not necessarily to those who are deserving, but to those who believe. And, and, and I want to just make that point today, tonight, before we get farther into this text, is that Jesus is accessible. His death for us, uh, the forgiveness of sins is accessible not because you are deserving, but because God loves you. And that's important. And that's all throughout the Gospels we see that taught, that is because of God's love for you, for the lost, that Jesus came and Jesus died, and he paid the price for you and made you deserving. Now, this, this centurion had paid the price for a synagogue to be built, But as Jesus is on his way, the man says, look, you don't have to trouble yourself. You don't even have to come under my roof. I don't want to make you unclean with the Jews. So in his understanding, hey, I don't want to do this to you, put you out. And I'm a man of authority. I I understand authority. And, And being a centurion, he would have been over 100 men. Uh, well-organized, these soldiers. Uh, in fact, the Roman military was considered one of the most uh, organized professional militaries in the world, uh, especially at that time. And uh, they, so for him to say, no, I get this. I tell these guys, go, and they go. If I tell them, come, they come. And that's, uh, I understand this. And so you just merely need to say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, think about this for a minute. He's recognizing that Jesus has authority. It's not a magic trick. It's not some special thing he's doing. It's not his, his touching in a certain way. It's just the authority that Jesus carries to merely say, be healed, to merely merely declare that that person is healed. In fact, we don't even read that it, it, here in the Gospel of Luke that he says, be healed. Um, what we read is Jesus' response is a little different. So after he says uh, he says this through his servant to Jesus, we read verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and said to the crowd that, fo- that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So, Jesus makes this statement about faith. Now, anytime we have a statement about faith, I think it's worth looking at what, what provoked Jesus to recognize what great faith is. And, and it's always worthwhile to look at the, the actions of the individuals that help us define what faith is. Well, first of all, we see that there was a belief that Jesus could do this, there was a dependence upon God, upon Jesus to do this work. There was action taken that went along with that dependence. So so we see a response from the centurion. And, and th- this is really what faith is. When we say believe in Jesus, when we say put your trust in Jesus, we're not talking about paying lip service or making some agreement that Jesus is good or that Jesus died for my sins and it's just going to stay compartmentalized in some upper room of my mind that never has access to my actions. Belief or trust in Jesus is to to believe on him and then to do, to follow, to to respond in dependence and action, not just to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I believe Jesus is real. You know, you talk to people today in America and they the beliefs are all over the place. You know, I believe this, or I believe this. And, and, and their belief never really moves to any type of actual faith or dependence. And so I think we can see from the centurion that there's this faith. Now, uh, I'm going to turn over to Matthew's gospel for a quick minute. I'm sorry, I forgot to give you this text. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says one more thing about this centurion or this statement in Matthew chapter 8 and verse, um, verse 10, Jesus uh, uh, makes this comment. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Verse 11, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And so as Jesus makes this statement in Matthew, as Matthew records this idea about this banquet. And many coming from east and west, they sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is making a a statement that's going to start to boil up the Jews. Remember, the centurion says, look, you don't even have to come to my house. I don't want you to get dirty. Uh, You you can just say the word. And so after he recognizes the faith of the centurion, he says, look, people are going to come from east and west. Well, who's east and west of Israel? Not Jews. It's Gentiles. And they're going to sit with who? They're going to sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob well, who are they? They're the patriarchs of the Jews. They're going to be Wait a minute. They're sitting down at this banquet. They're going to be sitting together. And then it says, "But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Well, that doesn't sound good. How can you be a son of a king the kingdom and be cast out? And this is where where Jesus is confronting unbelief with faith. It's not about your birthright or what's on your birth certificate about who your dad is, it's about being born again in Christ. It's about having faith in Christ, and that's what it's about. And so Jesus is declaring here that, hey, there's going to be Gentiles coming in. In fact, in John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, he goes on to say, I have sheep that are not of this pen fold, this pen. There's other sheep out there that aren't the Jews. And he's going to bring them in. So going back over to Luke, Jesus makes this beautiful statement about faith, even faith greater than all of Israel. And we're going to see that's a theme of the theme of faith is coming, going to be uh, real strong here through seven and eight. Now remember, Jesus just finished the Sermon on the Plain, and what was the Sermon on the Plain? It was teaching. And so we have God's Word followed by faith dependence. And that's, that's the important thing. We hear God speak and we respond with dependence upon God. And there's kind of a, a theme going on here in the, the Gospel of Luke. Well, let's go to this next, ne- next passage, verse 11. It says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. Now this is uh, southwest of Capernaum. And many of his disciples went with him. And a large crowd... And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now, first of all, I want to say this. You you know, you talk about somebody being a party crasher. uh, Somebody like who comes out to the party and messes everything up. And uh, Jesus was a funeral crasher uh, every single time. Look at uh, any funeral that Jesus went to and everything that everybody's there to do, they end up not doing because he raises the dead. <laughs> like, it's pretty great. But, but what I want you to see here is that Jesus, as he, as he sees this large crowd gather, gather, the disciples are with him. He sees a dead man being carried Now, notice who it is, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So, what the gospel of Luke is telling you, what Luke is recording is that this woman was in a bad situation. See, if you're a widow, that's a bad situation. But hey, you have a son. Your son can provide for you. There's hope in that son. But now you've also lost your son. Now, aside from being in the first century, it's it's hard to see someone who's lost their husband... And then they lose their only son. That alone, we'd say, oh, God, how hard this is. Lord, have mercy on that individual. I, I remember doing a memorial for someone who had, was in this very situation. Uh, she had lost her son. Her son, tragically, was uh, 11 years old, and he was hit by a car on Jamboree. And uh, then uh, eight months earlier, she had lost her husband. And, and you're just like, oh Lord, how how much can this this poor woman take, you know? And we can imagine how hard this would be. And and I remember, you know, as a pastor, you kind of think about, oh Lord, if I, I don't want to do this, this is going to be hard. I don't even know how to comfort. And that's where the Holy Spirit just comes in and says, okay, I'm going to give you the words to say. And and it's amazing what God, how powerful God's word is. But 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 I I've been in this situation where I'm trying to bring comfort to a woman who's both a widow and lost her son. Now, of course, we get the sense that this is a, a man. It's an adult son. He probably was caring for her and taking care of her. So on top of the burden of losing the two, now you have a, a, this, this aspect of being becoming destitute by, by becoming not being able to care for yourself or provide for yourself. Um, and so we see that as Jesus enters into the city... We read that he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Now, talk about a weird thing to say to people that are mourning. Don't weep. Now, don't do this at funerals, okay? If people are weeping, don't, don't go up. You're not Jesus, okay? <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> you know, uh, but he said, don't weep. He had compassion on her. He said, don't weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carry him carried him, stood still and said, young man, I, and Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he was dead, sat up, and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Now talk about the moment here. You, you probably have a, a young man who's already got some grave clothes on him. Uh, it's possible that they waited to do that out at the where they were going to bury him, but but it would seem like they would prepare him and then take him for the burial. But as Jesus here touches the open coffin and he commands, "Young man, I say ar- say to you, arise." So he sat up. Now, we we always say the only sure thing is death and taxes in this life. But then, but then as a Christian, we say uh, the only sh- the, the, the sure things in this life are death, taxes, and the resurrection, right? Because we believe in Christ, but. Or, 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 we say things like, uh, "You only die once," and, and here this this young man, he's going to die twice. He's, or actually, uh, yeah, well, twice. Uh, he, of course, if he didn't believe in Jesus, he'd get three, three, three deaths. Right, the uh, two physical deaths and then the final death. But, but this man here it gets to experience death twice, and, uh, and uh, so he's a very unique individual because he sits up as Jesus brought him back to life. And presented him to his mother. Then look at verse sixteen. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, "A great prophet has risen up among us, and God had visited His people." And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. This will get people's attention. I, I, I mean, they all understood this man is dead. We're taking him to bury him. He, this is it. He's he's. It's over for him. They talk about finality. I remember working the phone lines uh, at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa when Chuck passed. And um, Chuck, you know, Chuck was very, he he was made very clear that he didn't want people erecting statues about him. and He didn't, he didn't want people praying for him to, to live again. He was like really clear about that. Like, don't mess this up. Once the Lord takes me home, I want to be home, right? I want to be with the Lord. So I, I was working the prayer lines uh and answering the phone, and you know, uh, hi, Calvert Chapel, Costa Mesa. Uh, how can we pray for you? And oh, can we pray that Pastor Chuck would rise from the dead? Can Can we pray? No, ma'am, we cannot. Well, why not? Because he doesn't want to be risen from the dead. He wants to be with the Lord. <laughs> Click, ring, ring. Hello. Yes. Can we Can we pray that Pastor Chuck will rise from? No, sir. We cannot pray for all morning. It was. It was. Can Chuck <laughs> rise from the dead? Uh, and, and no, no, he doesn't want to rise from the dead. Because, and of course we miss him, but, but but he wanted to be with the Lord. That's where he wanted to be. But certainly when, when you have a crowd of people around somebody who they know is dead and Jesus commands that person to rise up, it, the word is going to spread and they're going to identify that person with Elisha. They're going to make sure that they understand, that, that they recognize him with Elisha. And so, uh, so they say a great prophet has risen up among us. God has visited his people. Um, and it went throughout. Now let's go to verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Reported to John concerning all these things. And John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to Jesus. Saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? When the men had come to him they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that, and that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind seen, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have, have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, Matthew helps us understand that John has at this point been arrested by Herod. Um, And uh, John was confrontational with Herod, especially Herod's illegitimate uh, wife, who was actually his brother's wife. Yeah, it's a long story. Anyway, uh, and so John the Baptist was very confrontational about it, eventually eventually uh, he had John the Baptist arrested. Of course, we know that all this was God's plan. It, w- it was uh, part of God's plan to for John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord. And earlier we saw that John was the one who baptized Jesus. And John witnessed the, the sp- uh, spirit of God descending upon Jesus like a dove. And John heard the voice from heaven. And we saw it here even in Luke, the Gospel of Luke that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased um, uh, coming up out of the water. And so there was a voice from heaven. So John was a part of witnessing this. And actually when we read it earlier in Luke, we go, wow. I mean, John even recognizes a prophet that Jesus is Messiah. But now John sends some of his disciples while he's in jail uh, to Jesus and notice the question, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, um, I, I appreciate that the Lord God saw fit to put this in the text because it sure does encourage me when I lack faith. I'll tell you right now, if you ever act in faith, there are times that you are confident that God has called you to do something, that God has opened up the door, and, and so you respond and you move forward, but then... You, you hit a trial, you hit a hardship, or you go, wait, what was I thinking? Did I misunderstand God? Did I mishear what was happening? And and we start to doubt. We start to question, was this really God's will for me to do this? And and we see this happens with John the Baptist. He 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 was the one who witnessed Jesus coming up out of that water. He saw these things. In fact, some of John's disciples I, I think it was uh, Andrew and Nathaniel became Jesus' disciples. And, and so John now, though, is sitting in prison going, well, wait a minute, did I get that right? Are Are you the coming one? Are you the one I'm supposed to expect? Now, I want to say this about John. He made a good decision. He went to Jesus. He didn't go to other friends. He didn't go to other people, other teachers. He didn't say, hey, you know, what do you think about this Jesus guy? I thought he was the Messiah. Do you think he's there? No, he, he actually sent the messengers to, to Jesus. And so when they came to Jesus, they asked the question. And uh, notice it says in verse 21, at that very hour. So they asked the question, at that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and the many blind he gave sight. Now, I, I think about what this must have looked like for, every, for the disciples watching this and say, oh, you know, Jesus, uh, we came from John, and he wants to know if you are the coming one or should we look for someone else. And Jesus is just like, yeah, be healed. Uh, yeah, go ahead and stand up. Yeah, you're, you're healed. Um, go ahead and see. Like he's just healing people while he's listening to this question. They're all sitting there asking this question. Are you the one? You know, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't like that, but that's how I imagine it in my head. Um, they're all being cured. And it's not like one person being cured in front of them. It, it, it says many of infirmities, many of afflictions, many of evil spirits. I remember we were in Nepal, in western Nepal, and uh, we were doing a, a camp there. Uh, we had an opportunity to go do a camp and with some young people and the villagers in the area and uh, I had the opportunity to bring my, my daughter, Elise, my oldest, who was in eighth grade at the time. And so we go to this camp and we're sharing the gospel and doing these things. And so finally we have a, a time where we're going to pray for people. And all of a sudden this uh, person, and it was a demonic oppression, that that they started just going crazy wild in, in the, the church that we were, the little building we were using for, for the church as we were praying for people. And uh, my daughter, like you know, she's there. She's experiencing all this stuff, and so I'm telling her, okay, you know, start praying for people. I mean, that's what we do. If they're here for prayer. Pray for them. So she's going around, and so this this woman just erupts, and my daughter goes, "Nope," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so so Saji and I went straight to the woman. We started praying in Jesus' name, and my daughter sees these events unfold. Of, um, sorry, breathing. in. Uh, these events unfolding of this woman being set free from this demonic oppression. And, you know, of course, I don't know what I'm doing. So afterwards, I told my, my daughter, I said, well, what did you think about all that? Because you also saw someone get healed. It was incredible. It was like, talk about a great first mission trip experience, right? And uh, so she sees these things happen. And I said, so what did you think of the prayer meeting? She's like, that, that, was, that was strange, Never seen anything like that. Okay, yeah, well, like I was kind of trying to debrief her a little bit, and and she said, "How'd you know what to do?" And I said, "Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just praying in Jesus' name because I know He's powerful." She's like, "Oh, I was just trying to give her that ability to trust in the power in the name of Jesus and the and, and the Word," and so really impacted her. But so I can only imagine what it looked like for many who had evil spirits to be set free, many blind. And if you've ever been part of a situation where somebody's got that demonic oppression, it is like, it's confusing. You don't know what to do and you feel really powerless, but you know that Jesus is powerful, so you pray. Anyway, verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, most of this is a direct uh, or quoting a very similar quote to Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, you can read about that. And there are other parts of Isaiah, you can put this together. But is Jesus saying, okay, well, if you want to know about the Messiah, Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah. Isaiah prophesies that the, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. Isaiah prophesies these things. And so go tell John that that this is what's happening. And basically Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the one you're looking for. But he, he doesn't just say, oh, yes, I'm the one. He says, here's the proof. This is what John is asking about. Go tell him what you see. Now look at verse 22. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now this is an interesting statement as Jesus makes the statement. and And the idea here is that that you're blessed if you believe in Jesus, not because you're offended that he didn't meet your expectations, that, that you're not offended away, that you're not driven away from him because you've missed he didn't meet the expectations of what you thought Messiah would be. So it's a blessing to believe in Jesus. Uh, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And talking about an encouragement to John. John's sitting there in prison. John, John is is probably in a low point, obviously, in his life and his ministry as he's waiting for the unknown. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you're blessed if you are not offended because of me. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? <clears throat> uh, but what did you go out to see? a man clothed in soft garments indeed those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are the kings are in kings courts but what did you go out to see a prophet yes i say to you and more than a prophet this is he of whom it was written behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you quoting from uh, malachi and so so jesus asked these questions first said listen, John 's ministry was out in the wilderness. Why did you go out to the wilderness? Did you go out to see this, this reed that was shaken by the wind as this, this person that had no conviction and was just moved all over the place? Did you go out to see somebody who was like dressed real nice and polished and all those things? No, because what attracted people to John was, who's this crazy guy out in the wilderness? Could this man be a prophet of God and they went? And Jesus preached uh, uh, the kingdom. Coming to prepare for the kingdom of God and repentance. Or sorry, John preached this. And, and that's why they came out to the wilderness. That's why they went out. And, and Jesus says, and guess what happened? He fulfilled the prophet Malachi. This is what God, what God what the prophet was speaking about. So verse 28, for I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than. Than he now, this statement is an uh, extremely interesting statement because when you think about the prophets, it, Jesus says there's not one greater than John the Baptist. Well, what made John the Baptist great? Was was it his humbleness? Well, uh, all the prophets you see were really humble. Uh, all the prophets suffered. Well, especially Jeremiah, right? We know that Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet because he suffered a lot. What was it? John the Baptist, this is my my take, okay? This is my take. John the Baptist recognized that Jesus was Messiah. He was the one who said, "Uh, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not fit to tie. Uh, And and then when when John the Baptist saw Jesus, anybody remember what he said when he first saw him? Behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world john the baptist saw and recognized who jesus was and now he says but listen he who is least in the kingdom of god is greater than he even and 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 i'll tell you this that it, regarding the prophets we can look at this a couple different ways one we can look at this about being humble and dependence upon god which i think is totally valid, but we can also interpret it in the sense that, that this is a declaration that God's Spirit is now being put in our hearts, that God's law is upon our hearts because of Jesus Christ. See, the prophets had to be filled with the Spirit. They would bring the message, but we have an even greater fulfillment of everything that they had being the fact that we've been given the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ. And so I think that being least in the kingdom of God actually has an advantage. And I'm not saying that we do this to boast in ourselves or to build ourselves up or something like that, but it's saying that you and I today have a greater advantage than even the prophets because God has put his, he's tabernacled in us. He's taken up sanctuary in us. And he's, and he's fulfilled the word of Jeremiah that said he would write his law upon our hearts. And that, that's a, a wonderful. And he testifies to us. So we read in verse 29, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors just, uh, justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And, and the Lord said, to what then shall I like the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine baber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus... Challenges all those who are being critical uh, of being like children, where they say, You know, we played a flute for you and you weren't dancing, and then we, we played a dirge uh, we, or mourned and, and you didn't weep. And it, which, what do you want? Well, what are you looking for? You, are you looking for John the Baptist? Or are you looking for the Messiah, Jesus? John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, he was out in the wilderness, he was dressed in rough clothes. And, and, and you say, "Well, he's not. He's not. We don't like what he's doing." And so now I come, and, and I'm eating and drinking, and you call me. You accuse me of gluttony and being a drunkard. What do you want? So they're bringing accusations against Jesus, and notice what he says in verse thirty-five: "But wisdom is justified by all her children." This is a. <clears throat> wonderful little parable that Jesus gives, Even pro, I guess Proverb. The idea here is that you're going to know if wisdom is real wisdom by the children wisdom produces, okay? So how what does this look like? You're going to know if Jesus is legitimate by the disciples that are produced from him. You're gonna know that John is legitimate by the disciples that were produced from him. Your wisdom is justified by her children. Now, why am I bringing this up tonight and why am I gonna close with this? Well, I want you to think about you because wisdom is justified by our children and you have a testimony of what God has done in your life, what Jesus Christ has saved you from and what he's promised to you and that is a legitimate testimony you are the product of the work and the miracle, the miracle of God, and, and I, I, I think it's really important that you recognize that your testimony is probably one of the greatest witnesses for the power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that you experience, the hope that you have, the freedom that you've been given from sin, of all the things. Because listen, Jesus came and He's healing. He raised the dead. He He, he merely said, "Okay." Your servants healed. He did this over and over, and the people were experiencing it, they were seeing it, and and now they're questioning. Are you are you legitimate? Are you legitimate? And I want to say this that when you interact with people and they say, I don't know if there's God, or there is no God, they make these statements. You you can come at them from an apologetic standpoint, and sometimes that, that's really good. Sometimes it's good to remove those roadblocks, but listen. Nothing's as powerful as your testimony. What has God done in your life? Because you are the children justified by that wisdom. That you are a testimony uh, to God's work. And I want to encourage you with that. Now, maybe you're in this room tonight and you're not a testimony. You're not even sure why you're here. You came and you're hearing all these things about Jesus, you're hearing about faith, but you don't even know Jesus. And I want to I challenge you tonight to, to go back and think about the least in the kingdom of God. That, that even the least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. And that's, what I mean by that is that access to the kingdom of God is to be born of the Spirit, to be born in Christ, to be forgiven of your sin. That's entrance to the kingdom of God. And and I want to encourage you tonight, don't leave here without praying and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To be like that centurion who believes and depends upon Jesus Christ. You believe and depend upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I, can't even put it that table. I haven't got there yet. He's excited about communion. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord God Father, we thank you so much for For your provision, we thank you, Lord, that you provided for us salvation on that cross. And Lord, now as we come to your table, we ask, Lord, that you speak to us, Lord. Lord, is there a sin we need to forsake? Is there an attitude of rebellion in us? Lord, we want to confess that now. Lord, search us and know us. Is there a root of bitterness that we've been harboring against someone, a loved one, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor? Lord, forgive us for harboring and not forgiving. God, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us, and we thank you now as we come to your table What this represents, the beautiful promise that you're a part of us. And we thank you, Lord God. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. And um, I want to encourage you, uh, next Sunday night, uh, Keith will be uh, teaching. Uh, So thank you, Keith, for doing that. And. also in the morning, Hidardo will be taking on First mm-hmm. Peter, following up uh, after me from this morning. So please be praying for Keith and Hidardo this week as they prepare uh, for next Sunday. And please also pray for Mike and myself as as uh, we're going to, Lord willing, do the work that God is sending us to Uganda to do. And and be back the following Sunday. So uh, so uh, please keep us in prayer for that. Oh, and uh, by the way, also next week we're going to have a special guest, our missionary from Costa Rica, Horatio, will be here too next week. So you'll get to hear from him. With that said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.